How many are ready to get in the Word this morning? How many uh, remember last week we began a series entitled I Am? Throughout the series, we're going to be looking at the seven statements that Jesus made that declared who he is. Last week we saw that he is, he, when he said, I am the bread of life, right? Amen. So the message, uh, just in case you missed it, it's always available on our podcast, uh, which you can find through podbean.com. Is there something playing? Oh. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, something, you can play it through podbean.com. Uh, so you can find it there under Calvary Gospel Assembly. Uh, let's pray this morning. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for an opportunity to come and worship you. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to come and lift our voices and lift our hands and just give you glory. Lord, we pray over the message this morning that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, that what's being taught here, that everything would be your words and not my words. Lord, your thoughts and not mine. Lord, that it would reach deep into the hearts of those who are here and it would be something that would last with them for a long, long time and enable them to minister to those around them. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first of the I am statements, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So I told you last week that these statements were all found within the Gospel of John. And so we begin there this week in chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? So what do you say? This, of course, is the beginning of a very familiar story. Most of you are aware of the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Uh, the Temple Mount was and still is a central hub of Jerusalem. So it's there that Jesus goes to teach the people. While he's teaching the people, the religious leaders of the Jews, they break through the crowd, and they lay at the feet of Jesus a woman who has been caught in sin. Let's make no mistake about it. She was caught in sin. Can we all agree? She was caught in the act of adultery. She was caught in sin. It's likely that they took her and brought her to Jesus and threw her to the ground, tossed her to the ground. She's announced as the woman that's caught in the very act. Now, there's more than a few issues with this story. There's more than a few issues that, that are worth going into. The first is this. How did they know she was committing adultery? Right? How did they know she was committing adultery? I like what uh, this commentary says. It says this the standard of evidence was very high for this crime. There had to be, and listen to this carefully, because I, sometimes I, I don't think we understand. Uh, we we kind of look at it and read it and just kind of go past it without understanding the, the, the intricacies of it. There had to be two witnesses, and they had to agree perfectly. 
It wasn't enough to see the pair leaving the room together or even lying in the same bed together. They had to see the actual act take place. In most cases, the evidence in adultery would almost be impossible if the situation weren't a setup. If the situation weren't a setup, it would be almost impossible to convict somebody for this. So let's discuss what we don't know. We don't know who this woman is. We don't know who she is. We only know her by her sin. How many times do you think people only know you by your sin? Right? They only, they, they only know me by my screw-ups. They only know me by my mistakes. This is a woman who is only known by her sin. What we do know is that she's likely set up. She's likely set up. If you, th- if you think about what that means, it's just disturbing. What it means is the religious leader somehow got this woman into an adulterous act. They had at least two other men there to spy on her and watch the act, and then they arrested her while the act is happening. She's in a state of undress, most likely. She gets to Jesus, and she's probably close to naked. They throw her to the ground. She's lying there, nearly naked, embarrassed and ashamed. The religious leaders say to Jesus, the law tells us to kill her by stoning her. What do you say? We should kill her. I don't know about you, but I, I can't begin to imagine the level of shame this woman felt. I have a question. Have you ever been caught in sin? I mean caught. Anybody? Red-handed. I'll tell you a story. I was uh, 11, 12 years old. Uh, my family's Christmas was always very interesting. We went to my dad's side on Christmas Eve. We had presents with my grandma. We usually got one present, had dinner. She gave us a banana and an orange and some, uh, some of those uh, butterscotch dicks that were in the bottom of her purse that, that day. So uh, we got those. That was fun. And then in the morning, Christmas morning, we wake up and we open presents with our family. And there's nine of us, so it took a while. We all got one present. It was always fun. Sometimes we got more, but it was always, yeah, anyway. So uh, then afterwards, we went to my other grandma's house. We called her Granny. So we go to Granny's house. We go to Granny's house, and Granny's house, you walked into Granny's house, and it smelled awesome, right? There's turkey cooking. There's pies cooking. She was famous for coconut cream pie. You walk into Granny's house, and it just, man, it was just so stinking good. We'd go to Granny's house, we'd open presents, and afterwards we went bowling. We'd open presents, we'd eat, we'd, and then we'd all go bowling. Every year, Christmas, Christmas Day, we'd all go bowling. It seemed like that was the only place that was open, something to do, and so we all went bowling. At the bowling alley, there was uh, video games, pinball, and different Super Mario and boxing and all that different stuff, right? The problem is this. At 11, 12 years old, I had no money. How many you know what I'm talking about? You say, Pastor Dave, I'm 45. I have no money. <laughs> I had no money at 11, 12 years old, but I knew who did have money. My mama. My mother had money. She had money in her purse. Yeah, you can see where this is going. 
She had money in her purse. She had, I knew she had, she had quarters. She had change. She had quarters, the things you need to play video games, Steve, right? You need to put the quarters in, right? This is back in the day. Now, nowadays, it's totally different probably, but stick a gum, Sue. That's all right. We're not going to get into it. So I go. Everybody's in the living room. Everybody's talking. Everybody's joking around. Everybody's eating food. I sneak into the kitchen of my grandmother's house, my granny's house. And I see my mom's purse, a large black purse that she used to swing at me. <laughs> she never, come on, I'm just playing. I see the purse. It's near the table. I get to the table. I put my hand into the purse. I see, I feel the money. As I'm about to pull my hand out, I hear, hey, what are you doing? My uncle had come in from the living room and saw me with my hand in the purse. I was caught red-handed. I couldn't even deny it. I lied. I did. I, I was, oh, my, 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 my mom, she told me though. <laughs> I was done. All right. I was just done. I was caught. And to be honest with you, I'll be, I'll be the first one to say, I don't remember it, like what happened after. Uh, I don't think I went bowling. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I was caught. And I still, I still remember the shame of what I did. I still remember the embarrassment of being caught. I remember the embarrassment. I was like, hey, what are you doing? Oh. I remember being caught. I remember the embarrassment. I remember, I, I, listen, the shame that I felt, and, and that's, that's, you know, I was a kid and stupid things happened, you know. But how many ever experienced, like, I mean, there it was shameful. But how many ever experienced real shame in your life? I imagine that this woman caught in the act of adultery, the shame that she felt was likely multiplied by a thousand. She's laying there in the dirt. She's embarrassed. She's ashamed. She's humiliated in front of hundreds or perhaps even thousands of people. Another issue with the account is this. Where was the man? Yeah, this is the part people like. This is the part women like. Yeah, yeah, where was that guy? The man wasn't there. Or was he? Wasn't he just as guilty? Wasn't he just as guilty of the sin? The answer, of course, is yes. But there's never a mention of him. In fact, uh, there's, this is, of course, another sign that this is a setup. Because she's there, the man's not. In fact, there's a theory, and these are just theories. They're interesting things to think about, that the, the religious leaders that, that brought her to Jesus, that he was among them. So here we are. We're at the scene. This woman who's ashamed, who's nearly probably naked and, and filthy and just thrown to the ground. And the leaders look at Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you say? Verse 6, go to the next slide. It says this. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. 
Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. You all know the story, right? I love the response of Jesus here. How many know sometimes the best thing to say is nothing? Right, Doug? (laughs) Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. Jesus says nothing here. He's being tested by this group of Pharisees, these religious leaders in in Jerusalem, and they say, what do you say? And so he stoops down, and you have to understand, at the temple, it's mostly stone, but then there's these groves of dirt. So I imagine he's teaching the people by the stones, and he walks over to where the dirt is and just stoops down and starts writing with his finger. Now, there's no knowing what he wrote with his finger. We don't know what he wrote. This has been speculated about forever. One theory that's always been popular is that he began to write down the sins of the religious leaders. That as he stoops down and he's writing, he's writing down the sins of those who are accusing this woman. In fact, one commentary notes this. The normal Greek word to write is graphene. The Greek word for write is graphene. But here the word is katagraphene, which can mean to write down a record against somebody. So the word used is to write down a record against somebody. So Jesus stoops in the ground and with his finger, he says nothing, but he starts writing in the dirt. And as he's doing this, the religious leaders keep asking him, what should we do? Come on, Jesus, what's your answer? This woman is caught in the very act of adultery. Moses says we should kill her. What do you say? I imagine as he is writing, maybe they saw him write down their name. Maybe they saw him write down their sin. And then Jesus stops writing, and he stands up. He says this in verse 7, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. It's interesting if he, whatever he wrote the first time must have had an effect. But then he starts writing down a second time. His words, of course, must have been stunning. All these men are there, and you have to imagine they, 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 they probably have stones in their hands. They're probably ready to kill this woman. Stones the size of baseballs and grapefruit ready to hurl at her head and her body. Jesus knew the trap had been set, and now he takes their trap and turns it on its head because that's what Jesus does. He takes what the devil meant for evil, and he uses it for good. Amen? And, of course, their response to his words are so well known. Go to the next slide. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. I want you to imagine the woman for a moment. 
She's waiting for the judgment. Listen, she was in sin. Regardless of the setup, regardless of how it came to be, she was still in sin, right? Regardless of any of that, she was wrong. So she's standing there before Jesus. She's waiting for judgment. It's likely, you know, like I said, the men probably had the stones in their hands. And as she has her head hung down in shame, you can imagine that she hears a strange noise. Kathunk. Kathunk. The men, starting with the older ones, probably drop their stones to the ground. And now what she's hearing is footsteps as they begin to walk away. It's interesting that the Bible says that the older ones left first. How many know the older ones have more opportunity to sin? Just because just of the years. More experience in sin. The men start to drop their stones. They slowly walk away, and now she's left alone. It's just her and Jesus. Verse 10 says this. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Some, some say, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. I want to notice, I want you to notice what happens here. Jesus shows her tremendous mercy and grace. Amen? How many are so thankful Jesus showed us tremendous mercy and grace? Right? There's an absolute understanding of her sin. He didn't condemn her, and he also doesn't condone what she's done. He doesn't condemn her, but he doesn't condone the sin. And this is important because he acknowledges the sin, and he says, go and sin no more. This woman leaves, and the crowd is there watching this whole thing transpire. When they say the woman is standing alone before Jesus, this is the religious leaders had brought her up, thrown her there, and she's there now, and, and now she leaves, and now it's just Jesus and the crowd. What an amazing thing this crowd must have watched. The religious leaders are walking away, and as they're walking away, Jesus says something else because he's not done with them yet. Verse 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We come now to the second I am statement that Jesus makes. I am the light of the world. How many are so glad to know that Jesus is the light of the world? Jesus is making a statement to the people about who he is. And it's interesting here because he uses very specific language. The language he uses, listen, it's funny because the religious leaders are walking away. They're walking away. They've been, I mean, they just, they feel like he who was without sin cast the first stone. They drop their stones. They start to walk away. And now here's Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. 
They hear his words and they recognize his words because his words come from the prophet named Isaiah. Go to the next slide. It says this in Isaiah 9, 2, 3. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Isaiah is talking about Jesus as the light. He's talking about the Messiah as the light. This is prophetic about the Messiah. Then he says this. Go to the next slide. Verse 60, or chapter 60, verse 1 through 3. He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. These are prophetic statements about who Jesus is. The Messiah is standing before them. A fulfillment of the words of Isaiah. Amen? And the Jewish people refuse to accept it. They refuse to accept who he is. They refuse to accept him as Messiah. In fact, they say this. Go to the next slide. John chapter 8, 13 to 14. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Today's vernacular. Jesus, you're a liar. The things you're saying is about you. You are a liar. Jesus answered and said this, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You do not know. The Jews called Jesus a liar. Jesus puts them in their place. He basically says this, listen, I know who I am, but you have no idea. I know who I am, but you have no idea. He then says this, verse 15. The next slide says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not, it is not I alone who judge, listen to this carefully, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Jesus is referring to Father God, the first person of the Trinity. He's telling them, these two witnesses, of who he is. He's saying, listen, God the Father is the first one. I'm the second one. I'm the witnesses of who I am. He's telling them that he is the son of God. He's saying, look, I, I, I'm the witness. My father God is a witness. I'm the son of God. And then they respond. Verse 19 says this. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. There's evidence here that the, when they asked Jesus the question, 
Where is your father? This is wholly intended as derogatory. This was entirely and wholly directed as derogatory. They had heard the claims of the virgin birth. They probably most likely had. And now they were calling into question the legitimacy of Jesus. I want you to listen to this carefully. They were trying to bastardize Jesus. They were trying to insult him in the worst way in that culture. Where is your father? It was meant as an insult. And Jesus responds quickly and sharply with these words, you don't know me and you definitely don't know my father. Powerful. This dramatic exchange. It's getting into a heated discussion, right? They say, oh, where's your father? Who's your daddy? He says, you don't know me and you don't know my father. You don't know. Here's what he's saying to them. You don't know me and you don't know God. Getting heated up now. The Jewish leaders are throwing insults. Jesus responding in a way that was at the, at the very least should have had him arrested. At the very least, he should have been arrested, Gary. Because now he's saying, you don't even know God to these religious leaders of the Jews. The Bible says that no one arrested him. They didn't, they didn't not arrest him because they had no cause. They didn't not arrest him because they agreed with him. They didn't arrest him because his divine hour had not yet come. Do you understand the power of this? The Lord was at work in the timeline of his ministry, and he would not be going towards the cross until his mission was done. Amen? It is not until his appointed time. Will he go to the cross? Now, this is the beginning of a long discussion between Jesus and the, and, the, and the Pharisees. It's actually a pretty long discussion. It's fair to say that the discussion was heated from this point, and it just gets worse from there. At one point, listen to this, they point to Abraham being their father, and Jesus responds and saying, uh, no, Abraham's not your father. In reality, the devil is your father. You guys hear what I'm saying? They say, no, no, no. Abraham's not your father. The devil's your father. At another point, they call Jesus demon-possessed. They say to Jesus, you must be demon-possessed. At the end of this heated discussion, Jesus talks about Abraham, and they scoff at him because he's talking as if he knows Abraham. And they scoff at him. They say this. How can you say that? You're not even 50 years old. How can you say that? You're not even 50. There's no way you knew Abraham. You're not even 50 years old. That's what they say to him. Jesus responds with John chapter 8, verse 58. And he, he responds in this way. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> you guys, you, you think I don't know Abraham? I was part of his creation. 
before Abraham was, I am. I have knowledge of who Abraham is. I have personal, intimate knowledge of who he is, just like he has personal, intimate knowledge of who you are. Before Jocelyn was, I am. Before David was, I am. Before Doreen was, I am. He has personal, intimate, loving knowledge of who you are. I think it's funny when they say you're not even 50 years old. How do you know Abraham? And he declares who he is. Before Abraham was, I am. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, he was in essence letting him, letting, he was letting them know that he was going to cut through the darkness and expose them to the light. He says, I am the light of the world. I'm going to cut through this darkness. You can only cut through darkness with light. Did you know that? You can't cut through light with darkness. There's no such thing as a flash dark, right, Gary, or right, Steve? You can't, you know, there's no flash dark. You can't take a, a flash dark and turn it on and, and all of a sudden wherever it's light, now it's dark, right? No, all you can do is take a flashlight. Because when light pushes through the darkness, it exposes everything. I was thinking about this the other night. You ever have cockroaches in your house? Rats, mice, little vermin. Yeah. When the light, when the light comes on, what do they do? They scatter. If they don't move, you have got a bigger problem. <laughs> okay? <laughs> they scatter. These are pests that are afraid of the light. It made me think about the demonic. It made me think about sinfulness and sinful nature of people that when it's exposed to the light, they try to hide. Exposed to the light, they try to, they try to escape. Jesus, Jesus isn't going to let their lies be taken as truth any longer. He's not going to let their lies be taken as truth. He wasn't going to stand and watch as the people head further into darkness. He's declaring he is the light of the world. He came as a bright beacon of truth and hope to those who are lost. And he was only able to do this because of who he is. And in his own words, he is I am. There's far too many people today trying to find truth outside of Jesus. There's far too many people today trying to find truth outside of the Bible. Let me tell you, they will never find it. They will never find it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He's not a light among many or just one of many lights. He is the light. Jesus also said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Amen? Jesus said, I am. He is the light of the world. He is that bright, shining beacon. I don't know if you've ever heard this story before, but there was a, a ship captain. It was in the middle of, a, of the ocean, and his, he's traveling in, in, in his boat. He sees another ship approaching. So he gets on his radio. He says, excuse me, this is the SS Minnow, whatever. 
You need to move your ship. You guys don't know Gilligan's Island? <laughs> yeah. And a voice came over the radio said, no, sir, you need to move. The ship captain got a little arrogant. He got a little upset. He said, no, I, what's your name, soldier? Private Pete. He said, you need to move. Voice came back over the radio. No, sir, you need to move. He got on the radio and said, sir, I am an admiral. I have rank over you. I am telling you right now to move. The voice came over the radio and said, sir, I am a lighthouse. You need to move. If what we believe doesn't fall within the parameters of Scripture, and if what we believe is outside of the Word of God, it's not the Word of God that needs to move. It's not Jesus, the light of the world, that needs to move. It's us that needs to move. Amen? Jesus makes it undeniably clear he is the only way to heaven. No one comes to the Father except by me. This is something that modern culture and sometimes even the modern church has trouble with. The truth is in many churches, there's new age teachers and influencers saying there can't possibly just be one way to heaven. There can't possibly be just one way. There has to be many ways. And so this kind of false teaching, listen, I just watched a whole slew of YouTube videos about it. You can look them up yourself. About Oprah Winfrey and how this is what she taught on her shows for years and years and years and years. And people just love Oprah. And, oh, she's fantastic. And, yes, we celebrate her success. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I hope, it, hope it's used for good. But she has been teaching and leading people towards new ageism for years. And saying Jesus can't possibly be the only way to God or the only way to heaven. And people have just, oh, just it's Oprah. We love her. And so now she'll start endorsing ministers and pastors and, and having a super Sunday. And we say, oh, hallelujah. Because we aren't aware of truth. We have to be aware of truth, right? So they take New Age ideas and they try to work Christianity into it. And now you have people who are regarded as Christian ministers leading people away from Christ and towards a higher consciousness, quote-unquote. Whenever we look at sources of truth other than the Bible and the words of Jesus, we will always be led towards darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. By the way, during the heated discussion, this long heated discussion, that we didn't get into all of. The religious leaders uh, were talking, and Jesus said this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? Listen, it's not found in false religions. It's not found in, if I just look deep inside myself, I can discover my own truth. That's not biblical. I just need to be the best me that I can be. That's not biblical. 
We have to look towards Scripture. We have to look towards Jesus. He is the light of the world. Amen? Amen.